Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, Magazine Editor here at NMA. You may already be aware that in January this year, NMA started publishing a series of monthly special takeover issues, which unpack and digest the big topics financial planners are grappling with right now. Not to be deterred by the pandemic, the next one has just gone to press. So here to tell me all about it is my boss, NMA Editor Will Robbins, who joins us from his home in South London. Hello, Will. How are you and how is life in lockdown? Hi, Ollie. Uh, great to be here in my home, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, it's, it's, it's going well. I think uh, today, this week was a bit of a harder, harder week, I think, um, as the realities of, of lockdown have set in. Uh, but we're well adjusted. I've got my big screen. Uh, I'm, I'm catching up with technology finally. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it's just been okay. Cool. So I, I mentioned the takeovers. I haven't gone into any detail about what this, what this one is about. This one's about the future of advice. Tell us a little bit more about what readers can expect in this specific issue. Yeah, absolutely. So just for some context, we pl started planning this several months ago while uh, COVID was uh, a, a tw twinkle in someone's eye. And uh, we you know, wanted to do, uh, you know, having looked at some, some big topics like asset allocation, like ESG, like platforms, um, it seemed like a, a nice opportunity to do something um, even, even bigger <laughs> and uh, look at the future of advice. So I chose the, the year 2050 to see what was going to change between now and 2050. So, you know, Absolutely. Obviously, 2050 seems like a long way away, but between now and then, there's a lot of things that we can say about the future. <laughs> so uh, what, how did we do that? So, and why did we do that? So we looked at, I'll answer that for a second question first. Why do it? So you're quite, your clients at the moment are 60 years old. A lot of them, a lot of them retirees are older. Uh, in the meantime, we're sort of banging on about whether you should be looking at younger clients and things like that. And it seemed like uh, both sort of sets of people are going to go through a lot of changes and the world's going to change around them. Now, of yeah. course, be between now and then, COVID has struck. And of course, it's, it's radically changed uh, the situation. And I think there was a moment when I thought, well, you know, with... <laughs> it's hard enough to deal with thinking 30 days, 30 minutes <laughs> in the future, let alone 30 years. But, yeah, sure. uh, but you know, in, in a way, it kind of became opportune because it was created all this, this catalyst for, for change. Uh, and so we sort of tried to grasp that and embrace that in all parts of, of the magazine and, 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 and sort of almost like a, a moving pictures to see from, from this point of, of change, um, actually, you know, what opportunities, what possibilities are there that we didn't think of before? And is it making us take more seriously some of the, the challenges and some of the developments that I think, you know, you might have read about previously and felt, felt quite abstract, uh, felt, felt quite abstractly about. That's really, really interesting. Um, you've divided the, um, this special issue takeover into sort of three sections. And the first deals with um, sort of society at large. And, you know, that flows on uh, neatly enough um, from the issue of life expectancy and, and how long people are going to live. Um, mm. But 
broadly enough, your interview uh, with the you know the futurist Mark Stevenson features in this, and and he has sort of quite a pessimistic outlook, doesn't he, about you know the world and 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 the portent of COVID nineteen and and what it sort of promises in terms of the future. Um, is there is there much to be uh, positive about in terms of sort of social and economic change here, or is it actually a quite downbeat uh, message that's coming through that section of the magazine? Well, it's really interesting. You, know, you talk about Mark's piece. You know, we based that uh, that uh, article on the podcast interview I did with him. Uh, Mark he, he describes himself as a reluctant uh, futurist, and he also describes himself as an optimist, really, which is sort of, I think, a very philosophical uh, interpretation of the word optimism. But look, okay. you know, Mark's the headline on Mark's piece is "The system's broke, but we can fix it." So in, it seems, uh, you know, a lot of what he says does seem very doom laden. You know, the healthcare system's broken. He calls it a sick care system. You know, it's not promoting long-term health. Democracy is mm. broken. No one, no one trusts government. There's a lack of leadership. Um, you know, finance and industry is broken. Short-term profits, you know, extractive energy processes, the environment. But you know, he, he is optimistic. And the point, I think the point, and anyone who's heard Mark speak at CityWire events will, will, I think, appreciate this as well. So the point is to be realistic and, and to confront these problems. And then actually, once you've done that, you kind of feel very optimistic about the future. There's a full of possibility uh, if these are confronted. And what was interesting about the conversation with Mark is that, he felt the coronavirus, as, as terrible as it is, and as, as much as it will push people into thinking only about their immediate circumstances, which is totally understandable, that after the dust has settled, there will be a, an opportunity to reevaluate the way we do things. You know, obviously, you do, do the way we... Is, is healthcare set up the way it should be? You know, have we elected governments the, way, in the right way in, in to lead us through, uh, to make long-term decision-making and, and to lead us through crises? You know, are we ready for the next pandemic or indeed the next pandemic-like occurrence that could come from climate change or something yeah. like that? Yeah. So it's, it's a very big thinking, but that was the idea to introduce this magazine. It's sort of very big thinking like this, but it's actually... Um, you know, I find, I find, would you get get to the end of what he's saying, and you find it very. Um, there's a great sort of affirmation in there as well. I think, yeah. Mm, okay. Um one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was uh, uh, an overlap, I think, between a piece that Brett Davidson wrote for us a couple of weeks ago, where he. Um, he, at, the, at the very end of his article, and it sort of seemed almost nonsensical that this was right at the end, but it, uh, nonetheless, it was right at the end of the article. You could write a whole book on this, but he just slips it in right at the end and start talking about the way in which, you know, financial planners could in the future start charging for services that, you know, that don't include investment recommendations and don't include uh, services that carry, you know, the bulk of their business risk and the bulk of their liability. Um, and it was a sort of fascinating remark, I thought, and I believe one that, you know, I, I, from what you said, you've said to me before, that Martin Bamford is also reflect, reflecting on in, in this takeover issue. What sort of meat on the bone is there uh, about that? And, and what are people saying about, you know, the potential for the advice proposition to change? Yeah, well, I think, you know, this has also come, this issue has also come amid our new model advisors sort of ongoing campaign that started earlier this year uh, about cutting costs, which we've called the cost cutting crusade. And um, that's been a very 
uh, interesting uh, prism already to look at look at issues uh, such as you know as fees, regulatory fees, but also business costs, overheads, and you know what. Just before we move on to those particular articles, you know what's been amazing about this coronavirus um, you know pandemic is that you know and everyone's saying it. Oh, you know we're using Zoom, remote working, you know work from home, all this stuff. But it's true. You know the the, the idea of our cost cutting crusade was to say you know what overheads are you servicing that you don't need to printing printing costs even. It's the save people thousands of pounds and so uh you know clearly there's there's a, a recognition already that um you know that we you know perhaps you don't need an office uh, even and already uh, some people in, in participating in our roundtable in in the magazine have said you know, one one of them ian else said well i set up a few months ago without an office it saves me money um rohan from postcard planning was saying was, was doing the interview from his office uh it was he was the only person there but actually during the interview he said i'm not sure i'm actually not sure if i need this anymore it was it's remarkable um mm. so, so there's that thing but then yes as you as you say you know this 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 cost of serving a client and, and a lot of those costs are difficult to uh, get rid of which is the uh, in terms of, of regulation look another couple of things martin bamford i thought wrote a remarkable piece uh, and I'm not sure not everyone will agree with him, but I really want people to read it, which was about, you know, this idea of getting, moving on from the client relationship, from the advisor-client relationship being the core, of, the core of your business and moving to a sort of followership type business. Now, we know that Martin likes social media and podcasting and things like that, but I think he's onto something here. It's very interesting. He basically, the, the core of what he's saying is, it's very expensive to to service clients and it's very time consuming and you you know you could maybe you could uh, advise a maximum of about 200 client you know client relationships but he thinks it's about 80 to 120 per advisor is yeah. is realistic he says you know in the, in the future and because of a lot of other sort of developments in technology that you read about, about elsewhere in the magazine you know you're never going to get past that but what you could do is reach far more people almost by being a sort of influencer. And I know that's going to have got bad conversations, but what he's, what he's trying to say is you've got this incredible uh, knowledge uh, and, and insight and wisdom that you're not really um, using enough. You're not getting out there, but you should be broadcasting it. You should be finding ways to create a following, you know, whether through podcasts or, or social media or something. And those followers, you could have thousands of followers. And if thousands of followers were willing to pay you a little bit, little bit for that knowledge, and then even if you're able to sort of package some of that stuff and sell sell them stuff on the back of it. And again, I'm not, we're not talking about product. We're talking about selling bits of service or something that they could value. Then even it wouldn't cost a lot of money to, to be able to have, make a viable business out of that. And, um, you know, he's not, he's not entirely wrong. You know, talking, Phil Young from Zero, uh, Zero Support wrote a piece and he's coming from a completely different direction, but he's, again, he dresses the idea of the advice profession being this profession of, uh, of shopkeepers. You know, say that, that England is a nation of shopkeepers. RFA profession is definitely a profession of shopkeepers. And, and, and we love RFAs for it and our cover stars uh, and, re, and our regional award winners and everything else. Um, but again, he's saying, you know, this, this is what will be eaten away by technology. You've got to be careful. Um, and, you know, what I think one of the sounds, sounds some more controversial sounding things he says is that advice becomes like an expensive help button. Um, sat behind mm. someone else's, or maybe your own, uh, auto enrollment or uh, uh, you know auto enrollment or, or employee benefits package or uh, you know investment platform, and that what you'll be providing is uh, a sort of highly specialised luxury service. It's mm. 
And then I sort of the final part of that is again something that comes up from the PFS and CISI and also from the participants at the roundtable, which is the idea of coaching that uh, advisors will become more like coaches once a lot of the more DIY, a lot of sort of investment stuff and product stuff can be done DIY. Um, and there's, a, uh, there's some very interesting uh, uh, results and consequences of that, especially around advisors' uh, coaching abilities, but the training, the, the formal training and qualification that might be required in order to, to make that, that jump. Mm. Yeah. Um, just following on from that, I mean, I'm, I, uh, you, you tasked me with preparing some of the statistics for the Staff Attack page in this issue. I did. <laughs> As, as I was sort of going through the, the, you know, the lists of available themes and topics, you know, obviously robo-advice came up, but it just felt kind of like, you know, the, the kid on the lonely kid in the playground, um, you know, which I don't, I don't want that to sound unfair at all, but I just wanted to get your perspective on robo, where robo-advice has, has fitted into this issue, if at all. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, Someone said a few years ago, many years ago, and it still kind of holds true that robo advice is neither, you know, robo, <laughs> robotic, or or advice. You know, it's a lot of it, it's these digital investment platforms. And their business model is very difficult. You have to have a huge volume of of money uh, to in order to make money. You've seen with, this with nutmeg and the amount of money it's, it's had to be given to try and grow its business. The cost of acquisition has been very very difficult, yeah. um, and it's so far not been any sort of threat to advisors. Um, now, necessarily or inevitably, robo advice will improve. The idea of robo advice that doesn't exist yet will, at some point, start to exist. AI, chat functions, all these sorts of things will be will be will, will come in, into being. You know, it's not to say there'll be zero human involvement of those businesses, right? of course, but there, some of that interface that will, will get better. So a lot of those conversations that you have to have with humans at the moment won't have to happen. You'll be able, you'll be able to get sense out of a machine. You'll be able to make sense. You'll be able to communicate your, your ideas and your thoughts to it, and it will be able to interpret them and it'll be able to solve your problems. So we'll start to, bit by bit, cut out the, some of those bits, but those roles. What, just to jump ahead, you know, there are some predictions about robo advice here, I think, but basically don't underestimate it. And we've all, I think we've said again and again at events, but don't, don't underestimate it. Look out for that Kodak moment. Look out for that exponential growth. We all know about exponential growth now, okay? You know, it's when something sort of you know, doubles or whatever it is every day rather than in a, in a straight line. We know about it, and that's, that's essentially what people are saying about tech for a while. That's, that it will be the same with robo-advice. It will. I don't know when, but it will. But um, just to jump ahead a little bit into our last section, you know, we're talking about the, the demographics. Yes. One of the people we inter interviewed uh, was a chap called uh, Andrew, Andrew Scott, who's the author of a book called The 100-Year Life. Mm. One of the comments he made when I interviewed him was that as m machines will get mach more machine-like, humans need to become more human-like. So when machines take human jobs, as I was saying, or, or you know, take away some of those uh, you know, contact points that, that uh, you, you know, people have with their clients at the moment, it's because some of those roles are kind of things that machine it's about communicating data and information have you know i need to tell you this you need to tell me that you know so that's an exchange of information and that's that's uh, that as machines become more machine like become more sophisticated faster better at computing better at crunching they mm. will that's why they will take those things but the humans it's a great positive message the humans become more human like and if you can adapt 
then that's way more fulfilling for everyone. But it's very challenging. Um, and there's no doubt some, some pain in the, sh- there's going to be some pain, but, uh, I thought that was a very, actually a very interesting and optimistic message from him. Mm. Um, I think that's very pertinent in the sort of current environment where, uh, I, uh people are talking about community much more. Uh, Paul, Feeney made uh, the CEO of Quilter made this point on the roundtable that I recorded about well-being earlier today. That the the irony of our our current sort of malaise is that we've been told, you know, for so long that uh, our connectedness will make things better, and it, it's actually made us more uh, individualized. Um, but now we're in a situation where it's even harder to foster connection than ever, but we've got to work together more than ever. Mm. And I thought that was a very astute observation. Um, so I think it sounds totally as if, uh, you know, the hundred year life is, is the model that advisors are going to need yeah. to follow. Um, have you got any other just sort of final observations about the people issue? I mean, I'm particularly yeah. interested in, you know, the issue of life expectancy and uh, something that was flagged to me uh, a couple of months back was this, it was this issue of cash flow modeling and how so many advisors rely on uh, projections from the ONS, uh, for instance, the Office for National Statistics, statistics about uh, life expectancy and how mm-hmm. long clients can affect to live. Do you think that this uh, current pandemic uh, sort of threatens that model at all because it doesn't sort of take account of the, you know, the grey rhino event moment or the yeah. even black swan event moment? Look, you know, the... The, the, just a word on the pandemic. Look, you know, we're obviously really aware putting this together that looking about looking forward to the future. As I said, when when there's a huge amount of uncertainty in the present, it's difficult. And and no more is that without worry when we're talking about demographics and longevity. Um, so, you know, the idea of talking about longer lives, of longer, healthier lives when when people are sadly bit getting ill and dying. Uh, uh, was something I thought about. I think in, in the, the long run, you know, th- these things these things will happen. We might see more of these events, unfortunately. Talking to the the, the, the professor, uh, Andrew Scott, when I, for the MAG, I did ask him about this. He said, you know, obviously, you know, despite the, what the long-term problems that we face, uh, it, it is unlikely to change the long-term trends that we're seeing with longevity. I take what you say about cash flow planning uh, and and what that will do to statistical analysis. I feel like it's probably a moving feast as it is, but that the long term, and hopefully the long-term gains in healthcare, especially when you're listening to people like Mark Stevenson, uh, will will really will start to to bear out. And and of course, you know, one of the things we talk about is some of the previous so killers of people in their 50s like heart disease have been really tackled cancer being you know the the next one where you know i think you were talking about this there's, there's some someone who talks in here about being able to go and get a a blood screen you know pinprick blood test at some point in the future yeah. from your pharmacy and then into yeah. to help screening so so there, there's a lot of you know that we're living in a very obviously very difficult time but there is some good news out there as well potentially so on yeah. the on the on the point about the, the the longevity yes i mean i think it was jackie Lockie from cisi said in the round table you know people are already starting to adjust their cash flows beyond 100 to, to, you know, we've had to have the birthday of the, the world's oldest man. <laughs> I think he's a British man. You know, this is just last week or the week before yeah. was 112. Okay, well, this is, you know, so, but, but in terms of, you know, you don't, there's this huge variety, of course, in how long you're going to live, depending on, on how well, you know, a lot of factors, but part, partly, you know, your lifestyle up to that point. But there's a huge variety and some, some people will live 
will still live beyond 100. Um, uh, and anyway, so, so yeah, talking about the fact that planners are already adjusting uh, their cash flows uh, to, to, to make sure they live well beyond 100 for the sake, just to make sure that, they, you know, that those, those first years, first decades are taken care of. Mm. But, you know, there's this really, really interesting point that not your pr current 60-year-old today, if you're doing a proper assessment of the, the health and circumstances, you can, you know, take a good, you can do a good job of looking up, you know, making the most out of their healthy years and making sure that, you know, that their years in care are as, as good as possible. But also that, you know, 30 years time, your 60-year-old client will basically be middle-aged. And I just think it was amazing. And it made me think about our own editorial stance towards advice. You know, for ages, we've been saying, what about the young? What about advice to the young? Why won't you advise to the young? What do the young need as well? Well, yeah, I mean, that still holds true. And one of the things we talk about is the fact that you need to make the most of your 100-year life. You need incredible amount of planning and thought sort and dis discipline. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, it will be vital for, for those interventions to be made by, with 30-year-olds by young people. Absolutely vital. But yeah. also, this also needs to happen in your 50s and your 60s. And that's amazing. Yeah. So you also, you know, so potentially as an advisor, actually, you know, hopefully you are sort of diversifying your client base, but if you are still, you know, you're advising 60 year olds, that would be uh, so remarkable. You might be advising them on take, going into further education. You might be advising them on taking a sabbatical, a short retirement before they start a career again. Um, mm. One of the, again, another guy in our round table, Peter Dean runs a low cost advice uh, business they they charge 28 to 300 quid for uh, bits of advice and he's in his third career and he's in his 50s it's just it's mm. happening now uh, mm. and it's changing the perfect your profession right now and it's absolutely extraordinary interesting um i am fascinated by this i can't wait to see um the takeover and i hope that um listeners at home are going to enjoy um reading it too as i'm sure you do too um thank you very much for that sort of whistle stop tour through it will i can tell you know this is a topic that uh, not only you're very very passionate about but i think is going to inform a lot of our work on the news desk uh, for some weeks and months to come um thank you for your time and for joining us on uh, on zoom today um if you would yeah. like to receive future copies of nma at your home address during the lockdown do email us at workingfromhome at citywide.co.uk and we will do the rest until next time it's goodbye from me and it's good goodbye from will thanks very much for listening mm -hmm.